Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Araceli Gomez-Saldana in for Greta Johnson. We made it to another weekend. I'm very excited. And we have two excellent guests with us to unpack the week that was. With us this week is Jacoby Cochran, host of the podcast CityCast Chicago. Jacoby, what's up? What's up, Araceli? I'm happy to be back on Nerdette. And also with us is Britt Julius, music critic for the Chicago Tribune. Britt, so happy you're here. Thank you. Excited to be here. All right, let's start off with the biggest news. Tennis star Serena Williams announced that she plans to retire from tennis after playing the U.S. Open later this month. And her announcement was, you know, she made it on Vogue magazine, very, very posh, Mm -hmm. where she said that she is stepping away from the sport to focus on her family and her venture capital firm. So this is a huge deal for me. I'm a tennis fan. Jacoby, what about you? How did you take the news? Oh, my God. For me, tennis in my household was luckily treated with the same reverence as the Super Bowl, the NBA Finals, the World Series. We sat around as a family. Me and my siblings got together to watch U.S. Open Finals. We would get up early to watch Australian and French Open Finals and and stick around to watch Wimbledon. And so watching Serena since the late 1990s, I would have been around eight or nine years old, she's always been a president in my household. I watched her first Grand Slam final, the U.S. Open. I watched Venus beat her in her second one. And then decades later, I watched her beat Venus to win what has, to this point, been her last uh, Grand Slam championship. And so when I saw that Vogue article, I was, you know, brought to emotions. This this is a, a legend, an icon, and a staple in the world of sports and, and, and black excellence my entire life. And so, um, you know, I hope that during the U.S. Open, while tennis tries not to I mean, not not try, right? They put all the attention on their stars, just like every other sport. But she deserves the send-off. She deserves the praise. She deserves an applause break every time she shows her face. I, I just hope all the flowers are thrown at her during that tournament. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, I, I agree. Um, Britt, what, what do you think about, you know, Serena leaving and the legacy she'll leave behind? Yeah, you know, I'm going to say something really uh, silly to start. But uh, so I follow a lot of gossip blogs and there was this sort of anonymous blind item about uh, the September Vogue cover being like monumental. And it was sort mm. of like going to be groundbreaking news about who was on the cover. Right. So people are trying to think like, who, which star is it? Who is it going to be? And then when it was revealed to be like Serena, even before I saw that they were sort of announcing that she was, you know, um, leaving tennis, I was like, oh, she's leaving. I'm like, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. So that part of me, and it was just, I was like, yeah, that is like 
kind of groundbreaking, like monumental news. I really feel like I kind of grew up with Serena. Like she's not very much older than me. And she was this, you know, or is this, you know, black woman who came from really humble beginnings, um, fighting in sort of white, you know, predominantly white worlds, um, having people criticize her, not only because of, um, you know, how she looks, but the ways in which she performs, right? They would make comments about her, um, you know, like grunting or, or, you know, sort of saying that she was uh, angry when we've seen other people be much angrier um, on the courts. So, um, and she always Mm -hmm. persevered, right? And she just, you know, she let her talents, her, you know, unique and singular talents speak for themselves and really just sort of be like, you know, I don't have to prove that I'm the greatest because I am the greatest. And that's just how it is. So, um, you know, I think losing a figure like that in the world um, of tennis, uh, it's it's going to be really hard. I mean, there are certainly, you know, lots of uh, younger um, black tennis players who, you know, followed in Serena's footsteps, probably because they grew up seeing her, um, you know, play as well. But um, I still think it's, you know, it's really hard. It's very much like the end of an era for her and, and also for, for me as a, you know, fan as well. It's like, wow, like I didn't even care about tennis literally until I saw <laughs> she existed <laughs> right but yeah but you know i i got interested in it and would watch her um compete solely because she was this um you know singular um important figure for for black women yeah yeah and an end of an era for tennis i think i mean in sports there's always like this motion notion of like the goat and like right Serena is the GOAT, greatest of all time. Yeah, we ain't got time for none of the arguments, <laughs> none of the backtracking, exactly. none of the Steffi, this, Billie Jean, icons in their own right. But when you look at this record, 84% win record, 855 wins, 23 Grand Slam titles. And she wasn't a person who just dominated one Grand Slam. She won each of them at least three times and won a couple of them like seven times mm-hmm. like yeah. you know what i'm saying one of the us open six times like that type of consistency that type of uh domination when she would get to a grand slam semifinal you was probably getting your ass whooped mm-hmm. like, she was probably <laughs> going to the final it it yep. is hurt to watch her get over that that hump of getting that last one, but it was so beautiful to read her words in Vogue where she says, that's not going to shackle me to this game. That's not what this is about. My legacy is is written in stone. So whether I win the U.S. Open, whether I go out, like I know who I am at this point. And, and that was so beautiful because so many athletes, most of them struggle with when to leave, when to say goodbye. And and it's clear she's struggling, but, but still doing it with, uh, with, with all the Serena grace that, that we've come to love. Oh, so much grace. And and it also makes me like think about these other big deal sports retirements. I mean, obviously here in Chicago when Michael Jordan retired, right? Twice. Like it's a huge thing. <laughs> yeah, twice. And even like Tom Brady's like fake retirement, whatever. Like huge deals. So like I do wonder, is this I mean, does it feel like it's that big of a deal to like the general public? I I'm I'm kind of struggling to like get the sense of what people are feeling. I that. think so. I mean, it's uh, you know, kind of like what I said before, um Serena was a figure who introduced a sport to people who did not know about the sport before, right? So she was someone who really changed the game not only by her wins, but just by 
but just by her presence, right? And mm-hmm. so um, it is a big deal, right? We we still don't have a figure, you know. I feel like usually we'll maybe see someone who can kind of like fill those shoes, um, and maybe we see sort of like kind of sprinklings of it, but not to the same degree um, that someone like you know Serena did for the sport of tennis. And um, I just I think it can't be. Um, you know, reiterated or emphasized enough how uh, groundbreaking she was for the sport and how um, big of a deal it's going to be. I don't really know if I'm going to be watching tennis <laughs> once she's gone. Like that's... Yeah, shout out to Naomi. Shout out to Coco. Right. But I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. sorry, y'all. Y'all ain't, y'all ain't been yeah. from Compton. <laughs> It'll be a change for sure. For sure. Okay, another story that caught our attention this week was about generational warfare. <laughs> and this time on TikTok. Apparently, Gen Z TikTokers are mocking millennials for cringe-worthy behavior online. I do feel personally attacked by this. (laughs) Kate Lindsay wrote about it for The Atlantic. And some of the social media tics include saying things like adulting or taking selfies from above, which I totally do. Also, (laughs) taking a so-called millennial pause where a person has like an awkward moment of silence before speaking in a TikTok just to make sure the video is actually recording. Millennials grew up online, and what, now we're not cool enough to be here? All right, let's listen to one of these TikTok videos. So, I have some good news. My husband just went to the new Trader Joe's next to our house, and I think it wins the internet for the day. If this is adulting, sign me up. Uh, That video was posted by a TikTok user named Michael Stevens. It received 24,000 likes. I don't know how I feel about this still. Britt, have you experienced any of this on social media? Have you seen it? So I saw this young TikTok star, probably he just graduated um, college. I wish I could remember his name because he's like brilliant. He does a lot of stuff sort of um, very much like a historian and really sort of like um, breaking down uh, um, issues as they relate to sort of like black culture and like black American culture specifically. And so he was talking about this issue. So that's how I was first introduced to this sort of argument of like millennials versus uh, Gen Z. And he had made a really good point in that um, a lot of the sort of accusations about um, um, you know, millennial culture versus like Gen Z culture or much more so white millennial culture versus uh, white Gen Z culture. I never said adulting. Like, I always thought I that was weird. I didn't understand none of that <laughs> right? shit you like, uh, All of that was this, it was so weird to me. And I saw it like happening online and I was like, this is so embarrassing. Like, why are you all talking like this? And this was like five, six years ago. Do you know what I mean? So, so hearing that that's like ending, I'm like, that's great because I never liked it in the first place. But also a lot of sort of aspects of um, that kind of what's thought of as like millennial culture. I'm like, that's a specific type of millennial culture because the millennial culture that I know, right? that I, um, you know, am a part of, that's the Gen Z culture, right? So Gen Z thinks that, like, the way that they talk, like, you know, um, thinking of, like, oh, it's giving or, you know, it's the so-and-so for me. That's all black culture, right? And that's what I was saying. <laughs> so for me, yeah. I'm, like, I'm like, that's not Gen Z. That's not what's, like, Gen Z cool. That's black, you know, millennial cool. That's trickling down to uh, people mm-hmm. in Gen Z. And now you're sort of, like, claiming it as your own. That's what I honestly truly believe. And, like, seeing, like, that, seeing that TikToker sort of say the same thing, I'm like, okay, I'm not crazy because all of this Gen Z talk is what I was saying like 10, 15 years ago, five years ago and now it's just sort of trickled down to this younger audience who don't necessarily understand the racial or cultural um, you know, uh, origins of, of these you know parts of, of internet culture and are sort of taking it for their own. Yeah, yeah, that is so interesting. I'm glad you put that in perspective. It kind of reminds me, it's an ongoing argument about how much of white queer culture is this like mockery of black women mm-hmm. and 
black culture in a way. And so when I look at Gen Z, I mean, when you look at like their fashion choices and, and a lot of the 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 slang that's coming in, like Britt said, a lot of this is just recycled, but they don't have the context to know what it's recycled from. And I mean, with all generational gaps, what blows me is like the millennial age group is from like 26 to 41. That is a wide, vast group of people experiencing at at the far ends of that spectrum, like two completely different realities right. and, and version of events that have taken place in this country. The thing that got me, like when I read the article, and of course I've seen, you know, I've seen things like this online and like memes and stuff like that. And it's like, why do all millennial women like rose gold, which I do, which I've personally attacked by that one. <laughs> but but the thing is, like, why, why would, do we have to verbalize that and like kind of communicate communicate like this is what you guys do and this is what we do and it's like i know we probably did it with like the older generation but we really oh, we, we definitely we're, did. were on the internet before anybody i mean like that's that's the fact and then also i just kind of look at like the aesthetic right now and it's all like very 90s and i was like so you guys are gonna bash us but you're gonna wear the clothes and you want to you know wear the t-shirts it's like very strange yeah no i definitely agree with you i mean i think of like as when I was sort of, um, you know, the equivalent of Gen Z age as a, like a millennial and thinking of Gen X, I didn't really think that Gen X was like uncool. I actually thought that they were like very cool. And I was quite upset that like a lot of parts of my, you know, kind of um, high school and college experience, like didn't have the sort of freedom that they had. Right. So they didn't have like the cell phones and the cameras and things like that. And so, you know, those I'm like, they could just go out and have fun and no one had to know any of their business. Um, I love the music, you know, like I was a child in the 90s. So hearing all of the like the R&B and the hip hop, like I was like, oh, it'd be so cool to be in a club and, you know, hear that kind of stuff. So then when I was actually in college, I went to um, a bar where in the back room this one dj would play all that kind of music right so it never really like it never i never had this feeling of like oh my god like the generation right before me is uncool now boomers absolutely right like they they had we had sorry that's why i feel like our attacks were were towards them but it was never towards gen x so it's very funny for me to hear like gen z be like millennials this millennials that and i'm like no wait a minute we weren't we weren't doing that so why you gotta do that we was here (laughs) we was here after atari we had like some really sophisticated gaming systems mm-hmm. and our internet was slow as hell but like come on that we had we, it. We, we, we was out there talking to anonymous strangers too exactly <laughs> questionable questionable behavior for questionable sure. choices for sure for sure I, I wouldn't i wouldn't trade where i'm at though i feel like it, it's right between right before the kid like the young folks is inoculated with technology but right after like Briss said, that generation where, you know, they, they didn't have to worry about 100% surveillance. So I feel like I got a little bit of both worlds. Uh, you know, I, I love Gen Z. They just love. They love <laughs> In just a minute, we're going to talk about the bear and Italian beef sandwiches. Stay with us. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. The Bear, the show. Have you guys seen it? I did. 
I've seen most of it. I haven't seen the, the entirety of it, but most of it, yes. Well, everybody's talking about it, especially here in Chicago. The Bear from FX, for those who have not seen it, it's a show about a high-end chef who takes over an Italian beef sandwich joint in Chicago after the owner, his brother, passes away. And well, this week, the New York Times found that since the show came out on Hulu in June, demand for Italian beef sandwiches has skyrocketed. Not only in Chicago, but in places like Kansas City and Brooklyn. <laughs> Jacoby, you're from Chicago. Did you grow up eating Italian beef sandwiches? Nah, I did not. Okay, uh, that's I'm shocking. From the, I'm from the I'm from the part of Chicago where we eat sweet steaks, right? If I'm gonna get, put just a bunch of meat on a on a piece on a French roll and put a couple of vegetables or some sweet peppers on it, it's gonna be sweet steak or from like Home of the Hoagie or you know R.I.P. Taurus. Like, and so a, a lot of the like idiosyncrasies of the bear i love the show but they were such like felt like to me like you know white chicago idiosyncrasy so i wouldn't have known if they were accurate or inaccurate but but yeah i haven't eaten an italian beef since but i have had a hoagie and i have had a sweet steak because those are the sandwiches that that i grew up with if i go to al's beef i'm probably gonna get like an italian sausage to be real with you <laughs> oh interesting interesting i was expecting to say like oh yeah you know totally i eat one every day <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm, i mean they, they they good i don't i don't dislike them i just they don't yeah. hold a candle to a sweet steak so if i'm gonna invest in a big ass sandwich I'm going to go on stand at home with a hoagie line and put some extra sauce on it. Cool. What about you, Britt? What do you, what do you think about this? You know, have you have you had one since you saw the show? Like, do you get this whole, like, craze about it? I have not had an Italian beef since I've seen the show because I've never had an Italian beef before. So, what? Yeah. Man, this was the wrong one for this part of Chicago. We like, we yeah. don't eat them. We don't even mess with them. Yeah. I'm much more <laughs> of a, um, like, you know, uh, if I'm having anything, like, I'm probably having, like, a Chicago-style hot dog. Like, that's more of my kind of jam like I was never really um it just never really appealed to me but I grew up with like you know my father loved them like my sister would have them a lot you know so I understand like how important they are why people like them the culture behind them etc but that was just you know I'm, I'm maybe more of like a little bit of an anomaly in that sense but yeah like I it just it's never really like appealed to me I'm like I don't know I was like, I'm just gonna get my normal like hot dog like <laughs> yeah, I'm just get my hot dog maybe a cheese dog just to feel a little, right? a little fancy like, cheese dog exactly I grew up in Northwest Indiana and so like we we grew up with Italian beef sandwiches like people had them at parties all the time or like mm. you would go at a restaurant you can get them and I thought Italian beef sandwiches were like an American thing like I thought everybody ate Italian beef sandwiches and it wasn't until I left Chicago or like the Chicago area that they're like no what is that and like what are you talking about um so that's super interesting I just like the idea of like people in like Kansas City like walking around like trying to either make their own Italian beef sandwich mm -hmm. or like looking for one um, and I do wonder if it's gonna like make you know people come to Chicago just for that I love that all right Britt Jacoby thank you so much I had so much fun and thanks for joining us today on Nerdette hey it's always a pleasure good to see you Araceli good to see you Britt thank you this was wonderful All right, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. If you're not already signed up for our newsletter, you should be, especially because I'll be sharing things that are making me happy this week. And you can sign up at wbez.org slash newsletters. Maggie Civit builds it every week. The show is produced by Greta Johnson and Anna Bauman. Our executive producer is Brendan Benazak. I'm your guest host, Araceli Gomez-Saldana. Greta will be back next week. Bye, y'all. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO.
Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.